Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, what's going on, guys? Joe, Joe McCall here, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Got a great treat for you today. We're going to be interviewing a friend of mine, Dean Rogers. We're going to be talking about how he came from his journey, how his story is pretty amazing. He came from playing in the NFL to becoming a real estate millionaire. And we're going to be talking about his journey, how he got to where he is today. And I also want to ask him a lot of specific questions on kind of like, what are you seeing working today in this market? What are you seeing that's not working? Maybe that worked a year ago, but it's not working now or what is working now that wasn't working, you know, we're going to be talking about his journey into this game of real estate and why he likes it, why he could be doing a hundred different things. Why real estate? Why wholesaling? Why houses? You know, what's going on in Dean's world? And uh, he's got some really cool goodies that he's going to be giving away too for you for free at the end. But also I want to tell you, I've got two special gifts for you right now. If you go to simplelandkit.com, this is a free kit I put together if you're interested in flipping vacant land, this is something I've been doing for a lot of years now, probably three years, maybe almost four, about three years seriously though. And this was a strategy that I started doing with my two teenage sons who are now 18 and 20 years old. But when they were 14 and 15 years old, that's a long time ago. Anyway, we did about $150,000 in profits with my two teenage sons flipping vacant land. And I put together this kit, which gives you my direct mail swipe file, some of my contracts, my scripts. Oh, there's like four or five other things. Oh yeah, some software that I created to evaluate, analyze, and create offers for vacant land deals. You can get it all for free right now at simplelandkit.com. Go check it out. After you opt in to get that, there will be an invitation for you to watch a webinar that I did that shows you how to use all of that stuff. So get it for free. We are going to be charging money for this pretty soon here. I got one other cool thing here for you. And this is a program I just started a few weeks ago, and it's called Deals with Joe. And a lot of people ask me, hey, if you were to start all over again from scratch in a brand new market and you didn't have any money, what would you do? Well, I would wholesale houses. Now, I like land. I like land better, but I have some money and some capital that I can put into marketing because with direct mail, when you do house, when you do land, you get a much higher, like for example, with vacant land, when I'm doing direct mail, my response rates on my direct mail are three to four times higher than houses. But if I had no money to do much marketing at all, I just had a cell phone, a laptop, and some time. I would wholesale houses, and I have this program called Deals with Joe. For just $7, you get access to this thing. I want you to go check it out. You know, even if you are doing land, this is a good thing to have on the side, another tool in your tool belt, because I tell you what, I just, just got a text. I wish I could show it to you right now. I've been doing this podcast series called Do or Die with a friend of mine, Josh, who is a missionary in South Asia somewhere, and he just sent me a text. He got a contract signed for We were doing marketing for vacant land. And he found this seller that has two lots. One of them is a vacant lot. And right next to it is a lot with a house on it that was just, I don't, we're still digging into the numbers, trying to figure out what's going on with this thing. But we've, we'll be all in for about 65 grand. And this thing might be worth 400 to 500 grand fixed up. There's a lot of equity here. And there's also a lot of work that needs to be done. So we're trying to see, but like, this is why I love this business, man. I am looking for, I'm not looking for houses. I'm not looking for land. I'm not looking, I'm looking for deals. So if you want to be a deal maker, if you want to start learning how to make money in this business, go check out dealswithjoe.com. It's a 30 day program. So if I just had 30 days, I walk through step-by-step step what I would do to start doing deals. 
And if I had no money, the reason why I like houses, I wanted to explain this real quick. Sorry, Dean, I'm, this is a longer intro than I normally do. I'll bring you on just a second. The, one of the big reasons why I like houses if I had no money is because there are so many more buyers for houses than there are buyers for land, right? So first thing I would do if I was wholesaling houses is I would get on the phone and talk to as many buyers as I could and find out what they were looking for. And there's a lot of good free marketing that you can do with houses. You can still do free marketing with land. Anyway, go check out, again, simplelandkit.com. It's free. And then dealswithjoe.com is only seven bucks. So just go check it out. All right. Finally, Joe, would you shut up? Bring on Dean Rogers. Dean, how are you, my man? What's up, man? You getting me excited about your stuff. Come on, let's go. Listen, I, I've been teaching and doing real estate. Well, I've been doing real estate since 2006. I've been teaching real estate since about 2010, 2011. And I really love this. I love doing the podcast. You have a podcast of your own, don't you? Yes, sir. Cool. Tell us a little bit about that. So I got two podcasts. You guys can uh, check out the first one, The Dean Rogers Show. You go to youtube.com forward slash Dean Rogers. Uh, and I have incredible guests on just like yourself and uh, just get into the inner workings of everyone's story. You know, it's it's really important to under, understand people's stories because it makes it makes it easier for you to understand you can do this too. Because the belief is that, oh, that person is just, they, they were born rich. They were born with the silver spoon. They were born with all these uh, things that were in their favor. And most stories I know are full of, you know, pain and suffering and challenges and hurdles and and figuring out the hard way. That's really good. You know, you, you never trust somebody without a limp, uh -huh. you know, or be careful who you take your advice from. Only take advice. I'm not saying you shouldn't trust, but only take advice from somebody with a limp. That's one of my philosophies. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So uh, you guys can check out the Dean Rogers show, youtube.com forward slash Dean Rogers. And then I have another podcast, Deal Champs. Deal Champs I do with two other folks, Jason Pritchard and Stratton Brown, two good buddies of mine. And uh, we're, we're just spreading the good word of collaboration over competition. We can all win. We can all work together and win together. So that's Deal Champs. You guys can check out that uh, if you go to youtube.com forward slash at Deal Champs, the little at symbol, you can check out that podcast too. But yeah, it's all about just connecting with other people, sharing our stories and uh, and talking about like what's working and what's helping us get to these levels. Nice. Yeah. That's why I love doing these shows too, right? Because hearing stories of somebody else and what's working for them, I we really do hold nothing back in these podcasts. There's no secrets anyway, right? There's nothing to hold back. It's not like there's some magic secret list or some magic pill that if you just figured that out, like you've got a corner on the market. But uh, And it also inspires you. You're right. And this sounds maybe a little uh, arrogant, but like a lot of times I listen to these things thinking, man, if that guy can do it, I can do it. If that idiot can do it, right? Then I can do it, surely. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your story, Dean. You um, played in the NFL. You played football. Yes, sir. Talk about that. Yeah, man. I mean, literally overnight, just like out of a movie, just the childhood dream coming true. What, what was interesting about my my journey, I grew up in Central California in a small farm town. You know, there's really nothing to do except go to school, play sports, go to church, hang out with your family and friends. Like there's really not a whole lot to do there. So, you know, playing sports was everything I love to do and did all the other things I mentioned as well. 
And so kind of humble upbringings, family was well off. My parents were actually entrepreneurs. I I got to see that firsthand and actually told myself I didn't want to be an entrepreneur because I saw... I saw the pros, you know, I saw the benefits of trips to Europe that we would take as family, trips to Hawaii and stuff like that. And like, all right, we're doing really good. We live in a nice house. And then also when the market, you know, economy would hit, get hit, would also see and feel those, the pain as well. And hear the, the table conversations of we're not sure we're going to make payroll. And I just remember being scared as a kid of money because of those ups and downs. That's funny you should say that. Because my, my dad owned his own business. And I remember hearing him one time talking about firing somebody. And that scared me to death. Like, you light them on fire? And uh, they, I'm sure they explained it to me, but I don't remember. I just remember thinking, that's got to suck. Like, that's got to hurt. And aren't you going to get in trouble? What? Firing somebody. And then when they actually fired the guy, they came over to our house. They had the discussion with him. It was my dad and a guy talking to this one guy. He was so mad. They were all of a sudden they were yelling, and he screeched his tires out of their driveway onto the street. And it scared me to death. I hear these wheels squealing, and then you go onto the driveway, and I felt violated. Like there was these long streaks of tires, and uh, I remember thinking about like something is this whole entrepreneur thing. You know, it's it's a different ball game when you're working for somebody else versus having your own business. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, you know, I I saw the benefits. I saw the negatives. To me, I made up in my mind. I didn't want to do it. Didn't want to be a part of it. And, and it seemed like there was a lot of pressure with that. And so I'm thinking to myself, hey, when I get older, I'm just going to get a good job. I'm going to work really hard, make a lot of money and not have to deal with the pressure of being the owner, the boss, right? So I just kind of went along, you know, for the ride of playing sports. High school was naturally when you get a lot more exposure. People are watching you closer. I excelled at high school sports, got all the accolades and the newspaper a lot, and was getting looked at by colleges, getting letters in the mail, you know, exciting times. I was honestly underlooked. It didn't help that I was kind of like, I was playing running back, by the way, in high school. So I was like a tall, white running back that wasn't super fast. I was fast enough, but not super fast. Had really good stats. But the colleges that were looking at me were looking at me like, well, what are you? Are you a tight end? I I don't think you're really a college running back. And for me, growing up on the West Coast, I wanted to be looked at by the Pac-10 schools, UCLA, USC, you know, the Oregon Ducks and all those schools. But no one was giving me any love. And the one college that did was UC Davis. And so that the one school that gave me love. So I, I went to UC Davis. Short story on that is, you know, excelled, went up the ranks, got all the accolades, first team All-American. And now I'm getting looked at by NFL scouts. And it's starting to feel a little... Which might not have happened if you went to a big Pac-10 school, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, I could have got underlooked. Who knows if I would have got playing time. I mean, naturally, I'd like to believe that I would have, but it's definitely different. So um, so I was getting looked at and, and sure enough, go through that whole process of graduating, entering into, you know, the draft essentially and uh, getting a, a, an agent and didn't go to pro day. I'm sorry, I didn't go to the combine, didn't get invited that. So I had to do my own pro day. At, at my college and had scouts there and did a regional combine. And that year, Joe, it was the year of the lockout. So it was not the same 
process of all the mini camps and all that kind of stuff. It was kind of like the lockout was lifted and you're signing up and joining the team. That was kind of the- What year was that? 2011. So uh, the lockout is lifted. And during that time, all I'm doing is training. And uh, I get the call from my agent and he says, hey, the Chargers are, they're interested in you. Like, get ready. They're going to call you in a couple minutes. So they call me and, you know, it's a, hey, you got your bags packed type of thing. Well, good, because you're coming, you're coming here tomorrow morning, first thing. And so I'm jumping around the living room like a, like a little schoolgirl, you know, screaming and hollering. And we're all excited. So I show up the next morning. They fly me in. I mean, it's literally like out of a movie, man. I mean, just think about my heart pounding the night before. I just like, this is going to be crazy. So I roll up and they got the blacked out Escalade. They roll me up to the facilities. I'm walking up the stairs to the GM's office and up walks at the top of the stairs, like perfect timing. Dean Spanos, the owner, shakes my hand, you know, hey, welcome to the team. You know, go over there. They're waiting for you. I walk into the room. The room's like pristine. Nothing, nothing in the room except a desk, a computer, and a contract on the table. And they're like, here's, here's your contract. You can review it. Call your agent if you need to. I remember calling my agent. I'm like, do, do we need to negotiate anything? He's like, dude, just be happy you're here. Like sign the damn thing. Like <laughs> we got, we got nothing to negotiate here. And so, uh, I signed the deal. It's a three year contract, you know, seven figure deal. And I'm like, holy crap, this is crazy. So they walk me down. They start introducing me to all the, all the teammates and everything. And all of a sudden, dude, I'm in the club. Like I'm in the freaking club. They're setting me up, giving me all my equipment. They're stitching my, my name on the back of the jersey when I tell them what number I want. I mean, it, it was, it was pretty crazy. And now all of a sudden, overnight, instantly, I have status. I have fame. I have, you know, my teammates are Philip Rivers and Antonio Gates and Vincent Jackson and like yeah. Hall of Fame dudes. And they're just like you and I talking right now, you know, like for you, I've seen you on the internet for years and seen all the accomplishments, all the amazing impact that you've made. And now like I'm talking to you, like it's kind of one of those experiences where like overnight you're now sitting across peer to peer with that other person. And did, did you get to meet Dan Fouts? No, I didn't get to meet Dan. No. Is he still down there in San Diego? He still shows up. He still shows up around. Yeah, for sure. Right, I'm just curious. I, I, Cause I grew up in San Diego and I was a big Chargers fan for a long, long time. Yeah. So, so from that moment forward, I mean, it was just like, like I was on in my own movie, starring in my own movie where everything just felt like so surreal, so crazy you know, just from down to like the very first play of practice, because they don't mess around. It's like day one, here's your gear, make sure you pass your physical and here's your pads or starting practice. Wow. And the very first play, I remember uh, I'm blocking, I'm on offense, I'm blocking and I come to go block strong safety pro bowler, hall of famer, Bob Sanders, who's known for lighting dudes up. And I light him up. I mean, I just blow him up. And North Turner throws his clipboard and he's like, there you go, Rogers. And I was like, holy crap, this is cool. <laughs> and from that moment forward, it was just like balls to the wall. Now, the thing was, I played tight end in college and that was my position. With the Chargers, I got moved from tight end to fullback. So for me, I didn't love that. I'd rather play tight end, but you know, we had Antonio Gates. And, but I wasn't going to, you know, pass on the opportunity. I'm like, yeah, whatever team, whatever position. So I was playing fullback and I was playing really good. 
Norv Turner was telling me I was going to have a long career. Again, it was the whole, the whole experience was a pinch me experience, but the only catch was at fullback, it's a whole different animal. I mean, the impact, the collisions that you're having every single play are so much more intense than when you're blocking at tight end. And, and also at tight end, you go out and catch the ball a lot too. So for me, it just, uh, it became way too intense, way too fast of just the, the head collision after head collision after head collision. And don't get me wrong, I was good at it, but I was too good at it to the point where my head was just, was killing me. I mean, I literally had to start icing my head after practice because it just felt like it was, it, it needed to be iced, you know? Do teams still use fullbacks today like they used they to do. back then? Yeah, yeah. Not a, definitely not as much as as before, but if you if you watch games on a, any given Sunday, you'll see, you know, there's still a handful, maybe dozen teams that use fullbacks, but they're not in every play. To that point, games were actually easier than practice. Games were easier because you're not in every play. Every play that you are in, you're not necessarily running an ISO up the middle and blasting some other guy. You might be just doing pass protection off the edge and not a big collision. So practice was just, you know, beating your head in and was too much. Wow. Okay. So how, what happened then? How long did you play with them? So that I just played my first season. And for me, I had this conversation with, with North Turner and the GM. And it was just like, uh, what are we going to do here? You know, because I, I can't keep playing like this. And, you know, there wasn't the opportunity to go play tight end that was taken. And so it was, a uh, do I just keep playing and, and, you know, keep doing damage to myself or do I walk away? And I ended up just deciding to walk away. And I, I did it all in silence too. Like I wasn't talking with family about it or talking about it with friends or, talking about it with my agent. It was just like, I, I just have to make this decision. I can't be persuaded other some other way because dude, how can you walk away from literally the ultimate accomplishment that you could get in sports? And, you know, once you're in the club, like you're in the club, you know, and I'm sure you've seen HBO hard knocks and you've seen, you know, the show ballers. I mean, on HBO as well. It I, is I, the perfect I want film. to. I've not. Though. I, I know what you're talking oh, okay. about. Okay. You got to see it because it shows more of like the Hollywood side, you know, the glitz and glamour. HBO Hard Knocks is more like the cutthroat business side of it. And it is all of that together. I mean, you've got the most alpha men that are in the most physical, like best shape you could possibly be in that are just hyper competitive trying to destroy each other. And it's, you know, the modern day gladiator sport. And then you've got the Hollywood side where you go anywhere and people want a part of you, any part of you they can get. I mean, they want pictures with you. They want to follow you to your car. They might want to follow you to your hotel room. I mean, like literally, I couldn't believe some of the stuff I saw and some of the stories the guys would tell me because I, I I stayed away from that. I was already married, actually. That's what probably saved me from doing something I shouldn't. But Thank God. I tell you what, the stories are endless in that kind of Hollywood type of world. It, it's pretty crazy. I, I heard an interview with Brett Favre, and um, I always wondered why Brett Favre wasn't doing any TV. And uh, But when I heard him on the interview, I thought, oh, that's why. And uh, he talks with a slur, kind of slow. But he was talking about how many times he was hit. His doctor, when he when he was getting close to retire, deciding, well, I don't remember the exact details of it, but they... He was talking to the doctor about how do you know I had a con how many concussions have you had? And he, the doctor said, "Well, 
How many times have you been hit and then something, something happened? I forget what it was. And then um, he said 20 times every, every game, 20 times every practice. And he is, he is, he's, he's jacked up. Like he's, he's a smart guy. But you know what I'm saying? It's it's a tough sport. It's a tough sport, man. I mean, you really punish your body really badly. Um, I, I'm I'm grateful I came out pretty unscathed, but it's it is the modern day gladiator sport. It's the 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 best of the best, the most physical, you know, display of athleticism and and strength, and everybody loves it. I mean, what kid doesn't watch that and say, like, dude, I want to be I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy scoring the touchdown. I want to be the guy who knocks that guy out. I mean, that is just an exciting adrenaline sport, you know. And what is the um, what's the average length of a career in the NFL? It's usually about three years. I mean, someone who's having a good career is like three years. I mean, they call it the not for long league. You know, NFL right. well, is well, not for that's a good career. Well, what's the total overall average? Yeah, it's got to be less. I mean, that's why they put three years as the minimum for you to make the players association. It's kind of like a mortgage. People know uh, the the mortgage companies know a mortgage. Most people are going to move within the first seven years, so they front load the the mortgage with the the interest in the first seven years. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of the same type of deal. But yeah, I mean, again, I had a one hand the childhood dream of of playing in the NFL and I definitely got that taste and and I will say I got the sense of fulfillment knowing that I could play at that level I mean that was one of the most like gratifying feelings and and also it being validated with someone like Norv Turner who's seen so many athletes come through the NFL telling me not once not twice like literally stopping me in the hallways to tell me like dude just keep doing what you're doing you're going to have a long career and as somebody from small beginnings and even playing at a small college, like it just felt so crazy to hear those kind of words come out of somebody like that. And so it it was super, super fun. It was an incredible experience. And it really opened up my mind to what is possible in the world from an abundance standpoint. But I just knew if I kept doing that, I was going to be an absolute vegetable and and destroy my body at that position. If I want to Hey, if I would have got call, the call to play tight end from the get-go, I mean, dude, I would have rode that out as long as I could have because way less uh, damage to the body. I, lo- I love scoring touchdowns, so I would have rather played that position for sure. So you and I have something in common. I played tight end for one year, my freshman year of high school. No, no, not my freshman year of high school, my uh, ninth, eighth grade in Pop Warner in San Diego. I played Pop Warner for one year. <laughs> I was tight end. I was probably 125 pounds. Five eight at the time, like five nine maybe. I got pummeled. I mean, these are just you look at these kids now, right? And they're just eighth graders. But man, I got just pummeled. And every time the call came in that it, I was supposed to get the ball, I was dang it, I'd get mad. Like dang it, here we go again. And they had this one play they liked me to run, and I would get every time I would get five six seven yards. But I would be lined up on the right hand side, and I would run then behind the quarterback, and the quarterback would toss it to me, and I'd run up the left side, and I would get five six seven yards every single time. But I would get hammered. So anyway, that's my football story. That's that's about it. I only played one year. That's awesome. <laughs> I swear those kids looked like they were seven feet tall, three hundred pounds. You know. Um, anyway. They, they- I make them big these days, especially. So then what, what happened? You you left the NFL. What'd you do next? I walk away and, you know, reflecting back on it now, such a, such a heavy decision because honestly, I mean, 
to be to be really clear, I walked away with from everything. Like I walked away not only from the opportunity, the status, the the fame, all that stuff, but I also walked away from the money. I didn't leave with this big bag of money. You know, that's that's something that someone from the outside might see the title and be like, oh, well, no wonder he's a real estate millionaire. He was in the NFL. He made a bunch of money. I wish, I really badly wish I had a bunch of money to start with so badly. Unfortunately, that just was not my my story, not my journey. So I walk away with nothing and money was not really on my mind yet. I, I mean, I'm just out of college. I'm now in the NFL. I'm not really in the real world yet. You know, let's be honest. I, I haven't been a real adult yet. <laughs> you know, thinking back on life now and having kids, like I haven't been a real adult yet. So I, I'm fortunate enough to get a call from my college buddy I played football with. And he's like, hey, Dean, I know you're done. What's next? He said, well, I'm at this tech company in San Francisco. I mean, they're about to go public in maybe a year or so. I mean, it's a great opportunity. Here's what they do. I'm thinking, dude, this this actually does sound like what I want to do, that vision of finding a good job and working my way up the ladder and getting paid well. This sounds like that vehicle. What, what do I got to do? And he just basically walks me past all the red tape, straight into the hiring manager's office and got me the job. I mean, what a blessing. Now, the funny part was, I can laugh about it now, was it was a $65,000 salary job in San Francisco, entry-level position. And not a lot of money, but to it's me, it was 20, like- What, 2013 at the time? Yeah, 20, 2012, 2012. Yep. So I'm like, all right, I'm not going to turn this down. So let's let's roll, you know? And I'm filling out the like pre-screenings, pre-screening questions while I'm there with the hiring manager. Like, well, what was your prior salary? And I'm like, $1.2 million. And, you know- is there any way I can boost up my 65 because of my prior experience or like you have no no experience? Let's keep it real. You know, you're lucky to get this job. So I, I get I signed up for work, I join, and now I'm living in San Francisco. And which has a high cost of living. Super high cost of living. The 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 punchline on that one is I was truly at like a negative income. I was living paycheck to paycheck, money was tight. If I wanted to do anything outside of the box. It was going on the credit card and the credit cards started to add up. And you, it, was it your got, wife working at the time? Did you have kids? She was working, no kids. She even changed her career right out the gates and started going to a specialized school uh, for what she wanted to do. And she wanted to, to be a makeup artist and uh, total career change. She went to school for psychology, was working with kids with autism, doing a lot of really hard work. And was really draining. So we got her to find something else she was passionate about. She was doing cool stuff in San Francisco, working with Pixar, working on, you know, small little projects and things like that, some cool stuff. But, you know, money got tight, really tight to the point where I remember distinctly, there was a time where we needed to get groceries. There was not enough money in the checking account. There was not enough credit available on the credit cards. We had to use a brand new credit card that my wife opened with Target to go get groceries at Target because they just started doing groceries there. So we used the Target credit card to go buy groceries so we could eat. And that's how tight it was. And this is right at the same time. I'm a, past, I'm a little bit past a year of being at this company. And I'm just thinking to myself, aren't I supposed to get a pay raise now? Like, I've heard about this whole like every year you get a pay raise thing. So 
I'm kind of looking around, waiting for somebody to come tell me I'm getting a pay raise. No one's coming to me. And uh, 13 months go by, 14 months go by. And I'm thinking, well, I got I to gotta do something. I got to raise my hand. So I asked my hire, my manager, I'm like, how does this whole thing work? You know? And he sat me down. He said, well, let's, uh, let, let me go talk upstairs and see what we can do. So we meet about a week later. He sits me down. He says, hey, great news. I was able to get you a pay raise. And I'm like, oh, baby, here we go. Time to make six figures. Time to be, you know, chilling and, and cruising, making good money. He's like, we were able to get you a couple percent more. And you went from 65 to 67,000. And my And after gut, taxes, that's maybe yeah. not much at all. That's like yeah. maybe a thousand bucks. Yeah. My, my gut, almost, it just felt so sick. I felt so sick to my stomach. I was embarrassed. I just felt so low. Thinking to myself, here I was this like awesome NFL guy. And now I'm just a nobody. Like I'm getting a $2,000 raise. That's what I felt like. Is this all that I'm worth? You know, I know I'm worth more than this. Man, there's so many guys that that deal with that, isn't there? Like, I remember reading um, this magazine article about where the these NFL players where they are now, and um, some of these guys were driving ice cream trucks. I think Icky Woods. Do you remember Icky Woods used to play for the Bengals? Yeah, I, I still do that drill today to keep my my footwork and ready to go. <laughs> I, I may be wrong and maybe somebody else, but it was one of those guys. I think he was, uh, he owned his own little business driving uh, ice cream trucks around. Yeah. So I can't imagine going from that high to, to that low. It's got to be tough. It's hard for a lot of professional athletes because your whole identity is being the professional athlete and you're so specialized in that skill, your communication skills, your sales skills, your anything skills for the real world for most people. I can speak for myself, at least, were not developed. I mean, I was not a good communicator. I was nervous to talk to people, actually. I, I always spoke through my play. Like, I spoke with my actions. That was the way I spoke. That's the way that I demonstrated leadership. That's the way that I, you know, uh, you know, spoke, spoke with my play. So anyways, um, yeah, I just went through that, that experience of being told I wasn't worth more than what I felt. And told myself, I got to do something. I got to do something about this because this is the slow path to, I don't know what, like, how do, how do I go anywhere from here? So I went to uh, Google and I just kind of sat in front of the computer. I thought about what are some other things that I care about? Well, I did have about a week or two. I was thinking about trying to solve the homeless problem in San Francisco and starting a nonprofit and, you know, kicking some different business ideas around. And I kept thinking about real estate. And I was thinking about real estate because, I mean, there's all these HGTV shows. I remember watching them with my parents in the living room growing up. And I remember, you know, being on the edge of my seat as a teenager watching Dean Graciosi at one in the morning, you know, when I should be asleep, uh, when I was done playing video games. I'd be like, oh, dude, uh, what's this course about making a lot of money? So I thought real estate, well, let me type, it, type into Google how to get started in real estate. And the first thing that popped up was the Sean Terry Flip to Freedom podcast. And the, the tagline was how to get started with little to no money. And that was me to a T. I had little to no money. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, let me check this out. So I started listening to the podcast and he just, you know, he starts out the podcast. He's all excited and... I'm like, okay, this guy's this guy's excited about what he's doing. All right, let me listen more. And he takes t he takes ten minutes to explain what a wholesale deal is on every episode, right? One at the beginning, yeah. 
And believe it or not, I was listening to the intro over and over again because yeah, I just needed I it yeah. beaten into my head so I could understand this concept that just sounded so foreign to me. Wait a second. So I don't need any money. I can just find this house, sell it to someone else. How does this really work? What does it feel like to do something like this? And I was trying to connect all these dots. So I was just on fire from the second I heard him come onto that podcast and became obsessed so obsessed. I, I just felt in my heart that this, this had to be the vehicle to get me back to that dream life. I knew and saw what's possible with the NFL. This has to be it. So I just took action. I, I, I was obsessive about listening and learning because all it was was audio. I didn't have any videos or workbooks or worksheets to work on. It was just the audio. And I would listen it to work. I would listen it back from work. I would listen it at lunch breaks um, if I had nothing going on at that point in time of the day, and I would take rigorous notes. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night. I remember this This just makes me laugh thinking about it, but I remember waking up at two in the morning once because my mind was spinning and I couldn't go to sleep. I woke up and I went back and I sat against the wall. I got out of bed. My wife's in bed. I sat against the wall in my 424 square foot studio in San Francisco sat against the wall and re-listened to the episode about how to fill out a purchase contract because I just couldn't understand it. This two-page contract would, would make me all this money. So I'm listening, I'm taking notes, I'm writing down the words because I don't have the, the actual document to look at. So I'm literally writing down every word he's, he's reading out. And so uh, I, he started talking about strategies to find deals. And one of them was some online auctions, hudhomestore.com. And I he was telling me exactly how he was doing this in Phoenix, Arizona. And I thought to myself, well, I'm not smart enough to figure this out somewhere else. I'm literally just going to do it in Phoenix, Arizona, where he's telling me he's doing it. And I just keep taking action, keep taking action, keep taking action, which is the equivalent of making offers on these, these properties. And I finally get a property under contract. And I'm now thinking, okay, well, now I take step two. I, I go find the buyer, right? He told me different strategies to find buyers. I'm going to follow his steps. And I go to Craigslist and I, I'm looking for buyers. And I've got a couple interested buyers, but they don't like the numbers on it. And I'm thinking, holy smokes, I'm running out of time here. I really got to do something. So I get clever. I got clever for a moment there. And I remember Sean talking about his website that sellers would go to and fill this, this information out and, you know, it become a lead for him. So I went to his seller website. I filled it out like I was a seller. His acquisition guy called me and I, I tell him, okay, hey, you know, I got this deal under contract. Could you guys help me? He's like, yeah, I'm sure Sean would love to. He gave my info to Sean. Sean calls me while he's driving in his car and I'm kind of like starstruck. I'm like, oh, Sean Terry's calling me. And uh, he, he tells me, oh yeah, yeah, no problem. We'll get this deal sold. Uh, just give me a couple of days. So he gets the deal sold. He handles all the paperwork. Uh, he sends me an option contract to do the deal together. And uh, we get the deal closed. We make 12 grand and he wires me six. Wow. And I remember sitting in the office uh, in the middle of the day, looking at my, my phone, keep looking at it, seeing if the wire is going to hit. It hits. And I'm like, yes. You know, I just like yell out in the middle of the office. And uh, that's one so of my cool. buddies. That's, yeah. That's a one month salary for you. Yeah. 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 It was like a month's worth of salary. And, and my buddy who knew what I was doing, he's like, you just closed the deal, huh? I was like, yes, sir. That was my first deal. So 
That was my proof of concept. And it happened in three months, three months of taking relentless action. So you found the deal on HUD Homes. That was the HUD website. And then you just, you found a realtor to submit the bids for you then? Is that what happened? Yep. In his own backyard. In his own backyard. Exactly. Do you still keep in touch with Sean? Here and there. Yeah. Uh, I still haven't met him in person. Um, As we're filming this, I'm actually going to be asking him to come speak at my next big two-day event, April 2024, the Deal Champ Summit in in Central California, see if he can make it. But I haven't met him in person. I might cry when I do see him in person because he made that big of an impact on my life. Please don't. Uh, That'll be... Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that, no. Uh, by the way, if it's all right with you, uh, I'd like to split this up into two podcast episodes. Would that be all right with you? Okay, because absolutely, just hearing your story is really cool. And I think a lot of people will be inspired by it. And uh, I'd like to get in on the next episode into kind of what you're what you're doing today, what you're seeing that's working, and and that kind of stuff. But I want to ask you more questions: how you kind of got into your journey here. By the way, Sean Terry helped me get started with my podcast, the Real Estate Investing mastery podcast, where um, at the time there was this book called Stock Market Wizards. And at the, at the time in 2010, when we first started talking about this, he was like, you know, there was only a handful of real estate podcasts, maybe three or four of them. I heard his show and I was, there was another, there was another guy that was doing an internet marketing podcast called the internet, I forget, internet marketing secrets or something. And Sean Terry ripped off those guys. Like he used the same intro and the same, like the lead magnets, the websites, the intro to his podcast was exactly what these other guys were doing. And he would give his cell phone number away on this podcast. And uh, so I called him one time, first time I talked to him, and we talked for an hour. And he didn't even know me from Adam. I said, Sean, I just wanted to say I love your podcast and uh, I want to start one too. And I think you, your intro sounds just like these other guys, Internet, Internet Business Mastery, I think was it was, or something. And uh, he said, Yeah, yeah, I, I ripped it off from them. So we just started talking and I, I had a friendship with him and I, I was saying like, I want to start my own podcast. And he said, you know, you should interview people. Nobody else is interviewing people on podcasts right now. And you should do something like the real estate wizards uh, and just interview people that are doing successful real estate. And this was, I don't know if you remember in the podcasting world, um, John Lee Dumas came out with Entrepreneurs on Fire. And he was the guy who really whole started this whole thing of interviewing a ton of people on podcasts. But before he came out with his Entrepreneurs on Fire, I was one of the first to actually interview people like this as a podcast format. All the other guys were just teaching, like Sean Terry was doing. It was just him teaching this stuff. And so I changed it to, I started, I, I called it Real Estate Investing Mastery instead of Wizards. And uh, also at the time too, I, if I were to start a new podcast, I would never call it Real Estate Investing Mastery because there's just so many real estate podcasts out there. But so many people out there owe a lot of their story and success to Sean Terry. Isn't that crazy? It is pretty crazy. Yeah. One of the nicest, most humble guys you'll ever meet too. Yeah. I, I've, I've talked to him a handful of times on the phone. Uh, we exchange text messages here and there, usually just like, you know, Merry Christmas or happy 4th of July, little stuff like that. But yeah, I would love to meet him in person because I feel like, you know, I, I owe my, my whole beginnings to, to him. And and if I hadn't have found him on that Google search, who knows? Who knows what would have happened if I would have kept searching and found real estate or what it was. But yeah, there was no denying the fact that hearing him and everything that he brought to that podcast as to why I'm here now. What a cool story. So Sean Terry, we love you. We definitely do. Uh, it's been a while since I talked to him. I should give him a call and text him. He's doing, uh, if, if any of you want to go check him out, um, just go to Flip2Freedom. Go to any podcast, YouTube, flip the number two freedom, 
and you'll find Sean's there stuff there. He doesn't do his podcast as much as he used to, but he's still busy. He's just he's doing a lot of big deals. He he still knows what's going on. He's still doing deals. I still watch him online and still still got it going, man. Okay, cool. So you did your first deal. This was what year? Twenty twelve? Twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. What'd you do next? I did my next couple deals the exact same way with Sean. Uh, put that money in the bank, and then I started following the next steps that he talked about, direct mail. And direct mail to me was what I could do because I had my nine to five job, right? I could late at night, set up my campaigns, get my data from listsource.com. I could set up my yellow letters and get those sent out and started down that whole marketing journey. So I cut my teeth at the very beginning out of necessity and resources and uh, time availability on marketing. And I remember Sean saying that the more you can get your phone to ring, the better, right? Rather than you chasing deals, the more that you can get people to call you saying they want to sell and they're motivated, the better. And that just stuck with me based on my situation and what felt like aligned with what I was, was wanting to do. And so that's what I did. I cut my teeth in marketing, learned that whole game and slowly but surely started doing that over my first year. Uh, and, you know, one deal... Were you doing direct mail in Phoenix? Good question. No. So I did my first couple deals in Phoenix through HUD Home Store. And then when it came to marketing and sending out letters, I didn't feel like I knew enough from the podcast about Phoenix. And living in San Francisco, I was extremely intimidated by the super expensive really crappy houses that were oddly shaped and really old and super extensive repairs and more sophisticated owners. It, it just did not align with the way I grew up and what I was familiar with. So I went back to my hometown, Central California, little town called Visalia, and started my marketing there, uh, pretty close to Fresno, California, for anybody who's wondering where that's at, and started marketing there. I mean, the average house median sales price in the two, 300,000 range, you know, a lot of houses built similar in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies and the eighties. That was a lot more easy for me to wrap my head around. And so that's where I started my, my direct mail. Cool. And started doing deals. Did it work? Started doing deals. My first campaign went out with postcards was getting, getting phone calls and then I think it was my second or third mailer that went out. I actually landed a deal and that turned into money, right? I think it was like about 12000 or something like that that I had made. Now, you weren't going to look at the houses either. You're doing this all virtually. I was doing it all virtually too. Yeah. So I was doing it virtually. It felt comfortable doing it because I could you know, speak with confidence about the area and I was familiar with it. And I was doing it virtually. And then at times, I would be commuting back and forth, my wife and I, to our hometown to, you know, look at some of the properties, meet some of the sellers in person, right? A lot of times that'd be like on a weekend or something like that. So there was some in-person stuff that just kind of happened to, to work out with the schedule. But yeah, most of it was was virtual from the beginning. Cool. And so like that first year, well, how long were you doing real estate on the side before you quit your job? For years, years and years. That was like- Years? Yeah, that was my, that was my platform. Uh, and actually, I get asked that question a lot. Like, you know, should I burn the boats? Should I go all in? For me personally, from my own personal experience, I know it's different for everyone, including some of my, my good friends. For me, 
I was not a burn the boat guy because I felt like I needed that stability to be able to confidently go out there. I'm more of like a conservative risk averse kind of person anyways, just naturally. So for me, I didn't want to burn the boats and and it was scary to do that. But, um, but yeah, you got to do what works for you. For me, it was, I needed to pay my bills and I wasn't making enough in real estate yet to be able to burn the boats. And and it's funny, after my first year doing my first couple of deals, I remember feeling so confident at the time, telling my wife that she could probably stop working pretty soon because the money was just going to start rolling in and I was going to be making tens of thousands of dollars every month. So that's pretty funny. And did, so, so did that happen? Talk about your first year, two years, you know, like were you doing deals consistently? We're very, uh, very different. So the first year I'm making money somewhere around... Sixty or seventy thousand dollars. That's what I made in year one. Pretty close to what my salary was, right? Which is great. And I remember Sean saying, "Once you have your salary in the bank, is when you could feel confident to to quit your job." Now, for me, I had made that money, but I didn't have that money in the bank. For me, I had been reinvesting it, um, paid some of my credit cards off, some things like that, right? So for me, um, wasn't ready to do that yet. And I did about eight deals to make that sixty or seventy thousand dollars. So after year one, I'm feeling feeling good about what was accomplished. At the beginning of year two, someone uh, one one of the guys I had been selling deals to in Central California says, "Hey, you're really good at finding deals. Do you want to flip houses together?" And I'm thinking, "Dude, this is this is what I needed. Like, I needed that next level. Flipping houses, you always make more money, right?" So. Uh, I, I definitely want to do that. And I said, I, I'd love to, but I just don't have the resources yet. Like I, I can't buy a house cash. He's like, dude, you just bring the deal and I'll take care of the rest. I was like, I'm done, man. Let's do it. So he gets me, gets me excited about flipping and says, hey, by the way, it's slowing down in Central California. You were doing deals in Phoenix, right? How's the market over there? I said, market's great. I mean, it's kind of like our market, similar price points. But there's more houses, so yeah, I feel feel good about it. He's like, well, let's let's go flip some houses over there. And he's he's experienced. He's already been doing it for six, seven, eight years, whatever, right? So he's like, dude, I mean, I can rinse and repeat here somewhere else, no problem. So we we buy six houses in the first month, and I'm ready to keep buying and buying. And he says, let's let's see how these go. Let's take a pause. And four out of the six, we sell, no problem. We make some money. We make 15 grand on one. We make 22 grand on another. We make a couple thousand dollars on another, right? And it's like, all right, we made some money. But the other two, we had bad contractors. We used the wrong comps. We did all the rookie mistakes that you could possibly do rushing into deals and absolutely got crushed that ended up with me losing $100,000. Not him, you? Me, yeah. Him too. He, he lost hundred too. That's how much we lost. We got crushed on these deals. And every horror story, I mean, con the first contractor doing all the work so bad that we had to redo it all again. And he ran off with some money. And oh, by the way, the comps you thought you had were on the other side of the street where the houses are great. This one just sucks on the worst side of the street this one unique street that you don't want a house on and you sell significantly less price drop after price drop after price drop. I mean- and, and you were managing these from California. Managing them from afar. And we had visited them you know, once or twice in person 
and, uh, and just struggling to get through it. And so what a way to start out a new partnership. And for me, as you could imagine from my story so far, I didn't have $100,000 to lose. Nowhere close, not even close, not even a down payment. Like I was just trying to make my next month's payment, you know? And so here I am having to look myself in the mirror, like, holy crap, what did I get myself into? How do I even get out of this? Thankfully, this brand new partner happened to be a similar mindseted person to me where it was like, dude, let's, let's go figure it out. Let's, let's go get more deals. I mean, not doing any deals isn't going to fix this. We need to go do more deals and make money to clean this up because we're the ones with the problem. No one's going to come save us. So here he is seeing some brand new guy. He's a little more experienced, wondering if I'm going to show up and, and get stuff done. And that's exactly what I did. I put my head down, worked my butt off. We started flipping houses in our hometown, not in Phoenix. Like fix and flip or just wholesaling? Fix and flip. And right at that time, right at that transition, I get a call from somebody from my marketing and it's an older gentleman saying, hey, I don't want to sell my house, but I have a million dollars in the bank. What could you do for me? And I had been listening and learning and educating myself. I had at least heard that 10% annualized interest was a great return for a private lender. That's something you should offer. So that's what I told him. I can give you a 10% return. He said, well, when can we meet? I said, well, let's, let's meet as soon as possible. Let's meet at one of your flips, he said. Well, I didn't have any flips. My partner did, right? My brand new partner. He had flips in our, in our local market. So I'm in town. I get with my brand new partner. Might have even been the first time we met. I can't remember. And we, we go meet at the property and my partner's showing him around. And I, for, I forgot to mention this. He also said, hey, before, uh, before we meet, is it okay if I bring my friend? He's actually got more money than me. I said... Yeah, it's fine. Bring them along too. So these two gentlemen show up and my partner's showing them around. Take a look at this house. This is what we did. This is what we spent. And they're looking at each other and they say, all right, these guys know what they're doing. So I borrowed my partner's credibility. That's what I did, right? I got the phone call. I borrowed my partner's credibility. And together we're like, all right. And they said, uh, let us know the next time you got a deal and we'll, we'll fund it. So it was not a, a week or two later, we get our first deal locally. And I still remember as it was off a, a county center and they fund that deal. We flipped that house. We made about $20,000 or so. You know, that 10,000 of mine went back to my partner because he was actually the one shouldering that burden for me that whole time. So for the next year, year and a half between our overhead marketing expenses and everything, it took about that long to pay my partner back and crawl back out of that hole. So that was a, that was a tough way to get started, man. I mean, after being all bushy tailed and excited and optimistic, I jump and rush into a couple of deals that really set me back. Got some questions for you. Looking back, would you still have done the fix and flip or would you have just stuck with wholesaling? Definitely would have done the fix and flip, but I would have I would have uh, not gone after the shiny objects or just, uh, oh yeah, sure, we'll go do it wherever. You know, I would have definitely been more focused in our market if I had. Do you really think you made more money doing fix and flip when you factor in the length of time it took you to do those deals? Not even close. Not even close. In fact, to flash, to give a, a sneak peek into the future, my business model today is wholesale first. I will only do the least risky, the most juicy, cherry picked deals to fix and flip that 
have the most minimal risk and biggest upside because I have flipped hundreds of houses and made marginal dollars on all of those flips. There's only a few that I can literally call out up until recently during that time that I could say, oh, we were making good money. No, we were making marginal dollars because it was all about trying to do more deals, not better, bigger deals. And the time that it took to do those deals, cash was always extremely tight and things were stressful because cash was in and then it was right back out. And by the way, the cash that was coming in wasn't substantial enough to to really stack the bank because those deals were so marginal. And uh, it wasn't until we really prioritized wholesaling that our bank accounts grew, our business became simpler and more transactional, and our risk was just so much less. Yeah. Well, good. I, I might've misunderstood your answer before because I asked you, doing it again, would you have done more wholesaling or more fix and flip those first few years? So would you have done- I did say fix and flip at first. You, you heard me right. Um, at the time, that's what I believe was the right thing to do. I would have just done it in my market to, to think honestly and, and having the knowledge I have now. Wholesaling was the answer. It was undeniably the answer. And I just needed to get better at my marketing, get better at my buyers. And that's what it was. I needed a bigger marketing budget. Cool. We got to hurry up here. I got just a few minutes and you've gone over your time. Uh, so I appreciate it, your, your patience here. I want to ask you a question, two questions left. Like how many more years until you actually quit your job? That's the thing that's funny too. It was many, many, many more years. And that's because to me, I didn't, I didn't need to. I, I had it set up. I set the business up a way for it to actually run like a business rather than me burn those hours, right? For the first handful of years, it was just me burning all the hours. Every extra second that I had in the day was, was focused on real estate. At night, in the morning, everything in between. But once I actually started hiring, now I actually had more time freedom and could actually maintain still having that, that job. Hmm. So did you yeah. keep the job because they had good benefits? Was it golden handcuffs? Had you gotten some raises? Did you like it there? What was going on? All of the, all of the above. All the things were happening. Golden handcuffs, the raises, uh, the, the flexibility in the job increased, uh, the benefits. I mean, everything about it was just kind of a perfect storm. Uh, it's probably not the situation for most people and, and hard to, uh, hard to replicate. But the kind of perfect storm happened, and that's kind of why it worked out for me. Uh, I, I think back when I was doing real estate for about two or th well, three or four years, I was trying to do real estate on the side while working my full time job, and um, I felt really bad. I felt always felt really guilty because I was not giving. I was getting my job done right. I was getting good performance reviews. I was getting decent raises, but I wasn't giving my employer one hundred and ten percent. Right, I was giving them eighty five percent. But I get my job done, but that was it, and I was spending my breaks. Sometimes I was taking a little bit longer lunch break than I should have. Sometimes, because I worked on construction jobs and uh, I would go walk the job while I was on the phone with my realtors and virtual assistants and all of that stuff. Yep. It, it did catch up to me eventually where they're like, Joe, your heart's not here, is it? And they kind of knew I was doing real estate on the side. And um, I'm still a little embarrassed by that. Actually, I feel still bad about it. I mean, I would have fired, if I was my boss, I would have fired me a long time before, right? But I did that. I played this game. But anyway, like what how was that for you at the time? Like were you actually 100% uh 
on your job when you were working at your job? How did you balance that, uh, that all of that? Yeah, it, it's like the the person you see balancing 10 plates at one time, you know, like honestly, truthfully looked like that if you were to take a sneak peek into the room, you know, multiple laptops open, multiple shared screens at the same time, being in two meetings at once and actually participating in both at once, you know, <laughs> like uh, almost almost just like uh, a comedy show. But that's that's to me was what the necessity was. I mean, and especially as I had made mistakes and set myself back, that's just what I had to do. That's what I had to do. I was willing to to work hard and put in the work and and overcome it with hustle and don't proclaim to be some expert genius that had it all figured out. I just had to figure it out with more effort. All right, good. So I, I want to talk more about um, on the next part two. I want to talk more about kind of what you're doing today, what's working, what are you seeing, um, you know, what kind of advice would you give to beginners wanting to get started in this business and stuff like that. But you got a bunch of free goodies that you're going to give away for free at deanrogers.com slash free. We talk a little bit about what is there. Yeah. So th- this is the stuff that I use in my business every single day. Okay. So I'm giving you all my goodies here. This is deal analyzers. This is seller scripts, offer scripts. Um, This is our sales process, right? Everything that we use in our business today uh, to run it like a business is right here. And this this is the combination of all these years. I've been doing it for 10 years now. This is all the 10 years worth of effort and, and experience that has gone into these documents and the masterminds and the trainings that I've been to, all of that put together in, in all these documents. And the great news about it is you're not going to look at this and say, oh my gosh, this is like NASA. The rocket scientist put this together. This is simple stuff, right? It really comes down to doing simple things the right way consistently. That's what the business is. This isn't a, a sales process with all these diagrams that are going to make your head spin and you got to you know, hire a consultant to understand it. You're going to look at it and you're like, oh, there's a couple handfuls of bullet points here. This, this is what I have to do? Yes. This business is that simple. You just have to do know what the right things to do are and do them consistently. That's it. Yeah. that's. I definitely want to talk about that in part two of our episode with Dean Rogers. But you guys can go to deanrogers.com slash free. That's D-E-A-N. Rogers is R-O-G-E-R-S dot com slash free. Go there right now. Thanks so much for your time, Dean. I really appreciate you. And I appreciate you keeping it simple and sharing your story. That's uh, We probably only scratched the surface of all the things that you're doing. We did. I'm honored to be here. I appreciate uh, to be here. And guys, please, this is my call to action to you. Reach out. There's no, there's no, I don't get more joy from anything than actually connecting with people if you've listened to this far, then you must have liked what you heard. I would love to connect with you. Reach out to me on social media, on Instagram. You can connect at Dean Rogers Real Estate. Uh, you guys can find me, deanrogers.com forward slash free for all the goodies. Uh, love to connect with people. That's where that's where all new opportunities come. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dean. I got to make like a tree and leave. I'm late for another appointment. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. You bet. Catch you soon. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Oh,